Okay, so I've got I've pulled up the card here for Temperance, uh, and reading off this little description of the card, uh, it says combining, creating, compromise, experimenting. Uh, Temperance is a card of interrogation and finding balance. Now is a time of adjustment. Two or more things are coming together to create something new. You may be interrogating your life uh, with someone else's, integrating your work and home lives, or integrating spiritually into your everyday life. Whatever project you're working on, be sure to change a little, then step back and assess the results. Like a scientist, change one variable at a time and then see what happens. Find your balance before moving forward. Use your emotions and be practical too. In a situation with another person, compromise will be necessary. If you've been feeling off kilter, seek balance between work and play, feeling and doing. Yeah. What, anything, does anything resonate there with you for that? Um, Look, I, I think I think you've just got to be able to compromise in some sections of your life, otherwise the world doesn't turn around. So that's <laughs> it's it's a very bit of a vagaries that's going on there. But um, yeah, it, like I think picking up new projects and like not just taking things for what they are, but asking yourself why you did it or what you need to do that that makes a bit of sense to me currently. So yeah that's that's sort of striking a chord but the rest of it i'm not sure i've never done a tarot card reading in my life well you still have it yeah this is (laughs) this is a one card deal one card one answer out you go Welcome to Fuck You Tarot Lady episode number 13. I'm here with Sam Dillon. Now, I want to... Is this episode 13? Episode 13. That's my lucky number. Is it really? Yeah, how Tim Burton goth is that? Fuck, it's... Well, you know what? Everything happens for a reason and these tarot cards may be doing more than you Mm realise. So, welcome to the show. Thank you for finally coming on. Thanks for having me. It's funny because so many people have like Instagram names or Facebook names that aren't their real name. I didn't know your name was Dylan until right. when we spoke on New Year's. I was like, can't be Raptors. That can't be right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very weird Romanian family you must come from. <laughs> or Raptors. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. But So it's lovely to properly meet you um, with your real name and everything. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. great. Now, I've got a lot of things to talk about today. Yeah, for sure. We've talked a few times at various gigs and I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting, actually. One day when Sam comes on the podcast, I'm going to pick his brain about that. Yeah. So I've got a big list of things. Is the prestige in there? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to add it now, so that's, though. That's the one film that I could watch every day of the year and I'll never get sick of watching it. See, we have a lightning round that's coming up and that should be a question now in the lightning round from now on, which mm-hmm. is what movie could you watch every day yep. and not hate it? And yours is The Prestige. So we've jumped ahead on that early, but we can, t- <laughs> we yeah. can get back to The Prestige. I've put it in the notes. Um, I wanted to start first with your origin because when we had a mm-hmm. nice, we had a lovely chat listeners uh, on New Year's Eve at the Bendigo Hotel. Yep, yep. And uh, I learned a lot about you that I had no idea that I was like, holy fuck, people need to know this. I need to get him on the podcast right. and we need to find out. So let's start with your origins, specifically in Surf Lifestyle because that was really oh, interesting to me yeah right um i grew up uh in the sheltered little god-fearing town of uh, cronulla and Caringbar and lilipilly <laughs> in the cronulla shire uh my family is uh is well known in the surf lifesaving um association and uh, a lot of my uncles and grandpa and fathers and those kind of figures they've all been uh captains of their own clubs and uh, presidents and do a lot of work with the council. So I spent most of my childhood either swim training, uh, looking for snakes under rocks or 
being unwillingly sent down to the beach to be a volunteer lifesaver. So, so it sounds like looking for snakes under rocks was the main pastime. Yeah, yeah. And everything else was kind of forced upon you as a child. Yeah, that was, that was the only thing that I had for myself. The rest was sort of thrust upon me. Uh, it was good, though. It meant that I, like, you learned to give back to your community and it's a, well, a worthwhile thing to be a part of. Mm. Um, but the whole, the, I guess, the mentality of the surf club was something that was not, not something that I looked forward to. Would you mind elaborating on that a little bit more for the listeners? Like, well, I guess... It, is it an uber macho thing? Yeah, or is it a- yeah. So, it's like, for me, I don't like going in the sun. I've, I, I prefer to be as A4 paper as possible and I... I'm not really into sand. I don't like it as a texture on my skin. I'm a bit... A bit, a bit of sensory a, Yeah, towards, I'm a yeah. bit of a princess for that sort yeah. of sensory stuff. And I don't like uh, touching styrofoam. So. Oh, yeah. I don't like touching yeah, styrofoam. Yeah, it makes my teeth like chatter when I feel it. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's like if, if I was a Bond villain and then like I got thrown into something to kill me or whatever, it would just be a big ball pit filled with styrofoam blocks. It just like I'd just disintegrate. But, um, I love that you're just giving listeners like instant kryptonite anyone. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If you're out there, yeah. Keep the cups only. Don't be giving me any of those fucking throwaway styrofoam cups. <laughs> anyway, how the fuck do we get onto this? I don't know. Surf life saving. Surf life saving. Yeah. So, yeah, the masculinity vibe, was that the kind of yeah, thing you so about? Yeah, if so you, if you were there like saying that you wanted to read books or that you'd just gone to see a play or that you really enjoyed certain aspects of a film or you liked animals and nature and biology and history and stuff, you were completely ostracized straight away. There's not, mm. there's not many bright sparks for that kind of deal. Like for the outdoorsness and the, um, the gang mentality of being in a surf club. Which I find really strange because like a surf lifesaver, you'd think that would be, you know, like you are into nature and you are into like the tides and being in touch with all that stuff. But it's not like that about, is it just we're going to beat nature and we're also going to save the people from drowning in it? Is that, the, what's, what's the, you know, what's the credo? They're sons of the soil. They're sons of the soil, these people. Like, it sounds pretty high and mighty of me, but, you know, they're, they're just people that like to be outdoors and go for surfs and pick up chicks and eat hot chips mm. and get melanomas. That's the whole bag that they go for. It's just not something that I appreciate. So at what point, you know, um, you also mentioned when we were chatting uh, on New Year's Eve that you still hold some kind of record for swimming. Oh, yeah, my local high you gotta, school. you've got to be yeah. bragging about this kind of stuff, man. <laughs> you know, you should yeah. be bringing this up. I should have to bring this up for you. Yeah, yeah. Before I became all this, with the greyhound body and lizard eyes, um, I, yeah, used to be a, a, a swimmer and my stroke was butterfly and I was particularly good at it at a young age and uh yeah my records still stand in the catholic high schools um and in sydney new south wales so take that chumps yeah no one's come to claim that throne yet that's me you know i get hit by a car last thing i do is just go i got the personal best for 50 butterfly (sighs) (laughs) and was that just because you were like did like a naturally talented as like a swimmer as an like a young kid or was it because you were forced into doing it all the time oh definitely look um, yeah, we were boot camped into picking a sport and it just made sense that we live near the beach and that my parents often are near the water. So we would become swimmers mm. and my sisters really excelled in ballet and uh, classical um, dancing. My little brother uh, excelled at Taekwondo and became an instructor himself for a while. Sick. And so we've been high achievers for the sportsing sort of stuff but also we were very encouraged to seek creative outlets and we always had a very large home library and um 
we were we were given a lot of cool uh, opportunities to seek out what we wanted to do with our spare time. Yeah. But we did have to have something. You couldn't just go to school and come home and sit on your butt. There had to be an extracurricular reason to be doing something. Yeah. So obviously the extracurricular stuff was swimming at the time. Was there anything else? You mentioned books and art and things like that. Were you doing that when you were younger as well? Yeah, I um I think I was uh, my parents might have wanted to guide us through public speaking. So we got sent to speech therapy and drama and, and um, uh, yeah, this kind of interesting creative class after school. Uh, it really helped, it, it, like the confidence to be able to be in front of people and, and command a room and tell stories is, is like fundamental to that sort of stuff. So I'm never nervous in talking in public. But, um, yeah, there was a whole myriad of things that I did. I did like hockey, I did soccer, I did, um, yeah, drama. Um, what else? Oh, like little athletics. What kind of stuff did you do in drama? Like, did you do plays? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Which, which Funnily play? enough, I was always typecasted as a villain. <laughs> like, I never got given a straight role once. Um, I don't think I'm capable of doing a straight role. I think everything has to be a little extra. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But um, did you have like a twirly mustache in like a young- yeah very Disneyfied sort of uh, oh hello like you know I could imagine yeah. you doing that really well mm. having a twiddly mustache maybe Disney needs to call you up for one of these live action yeah. remakes yeah that'd be great which ones haven't they done that yet that you could be in oh, look I'd love to be the the corrupt um, uh, judge from Hunchback in Notre Dame. <laughs> He's got some great lines. There's a great monologuing going on there, and he's completely corrupt. Yeah, and he's just, yeah, he's the embodiment of of egotistical maniac. So, I I would love to play him. I reckon I would, I would suit that a, like a glove. Yeah, you yeah. got a little bit of that in you. That you oh, could, you de- could. definitely the camp sort of loftiness that goes with it. <laughs> you heard it, Disney execs. If you're listening, <laughs> I'm sure Hunchback is probably further on the back burner than mm. the other things they're working on. But when they, it finally comes around, yeah. you might be ready. Yeah. And they'll, they'll, they'll read the script and they'll be like, Notre Dame it, he's good. <laughs> Fuck. He's funny too. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've got some, you got some jokes. Priest um, puns. So talk to me about now. So all of this, this part of your origin, you're doing performing, you're doing singing, you're doing all this kind of stuff. But then there was the accident that changed everything. Mm-hmm. Right? So let's go to that. How old were you and... Walk us through what happened. Uh, I think I was about 13 and I, I'd i been asked to go skateboarding with a bunch of the cool kids from my year and I you know, I jumped at the opportunity. I wanted to make more friends because when you swim train a lot, you don't have time to have yeah. a large group of friends. Because you're like up in the morning and yeah. then you do it and then you, you go to school. You fall asleep like early in the day. I had, I had a permission at my high school to take an esky of food around to each class and continuously eat because if I didn't, I'd just pass out. <laughs> I, needed a, uh, I was basically like trained to, to get medals. So yeah. you need to eat all the time. What are you eating in the esky? Like, oh, it's all that? healthy stuff, but it just lo- loads and loads of calories that you have to keep consuming. Otherwise, you just pass out because your body's growing. You're doing hours and hours of training and you're anything that's not stimulating enough, like say maths, for example, or geography, I'd just pass out. I'd fall asleep in class. But people kind of turn a blind eye because, you know, at least he's doing well in the, in the sports carnivals. So, you know, making their trophy cabinet fill up. 
The but, butterfly, you hmm. know, record trophy must be pretty good sitting oh, somewhere, just, right? Just gathering dust somewhere in a YMCA, I guess. <laughs> but um, anyway, so you, you're hanging out with this, with the cool skater kids. Cool skater kids. They All let they me aboard. The time, like, oh, like Stussy, Hot Tuna, like you know, Hot Buttered, Mad Dog, Skin Dog, the usual Ocean and Earth crap. Yep. From but living in the Shire, <laughs> but now, ironically, if you go to Japan, that stuff's worth a hell of a lot of money. Like in those vintage stores, Ooh, man, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, if you walk around with a hot tuna like um, bum bag, that's worth like five hundred bucks to them now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Space Jam. Anything Space Jam. Like Pog Slammers, Ren and Stimpy. Um, yeah. You name it. It's huge over there. Yeah. Totally is. So, um, yeah, what were we saying? So, the school kids with skateboard. Uh, they let me a, a skateboard. I went down the hill and I was going okay. And then the truck snapped and I flew off the skateboard and I went shoulder first into a huge gum tree. Fuck. And it just shattered everything inside. And over the coming weeks and months of rehabilitation, I'd realized that I'd caused permanent nerve damage to that side of my body. So I lost the ability to just walk around the school and basically rely on your physical strength of swimming and that sort of stuff because that was the end of the, that part of my life. Just like, like no more swimming. Like you're yeah. never going to butterfly again. Yeah, yeah. So the, I, I was unable to do any kind of swimming at all over the next year or so. So I crippled on a bit and kept doing well in carnivals, but that I was compensating with other parts of, of my like left shoulder and that to deal with it. And then eventually it just gave out. So now I'm stuck with like a flipping up scapular wing things. I look I look like a vulture when I'm walking around because I'm very lopsided and I can't raise my right arm above my shoulder height. So I've got all the workings in my hand, but the everything strapped at the back is, is quite annoying and pops out while I'm asleep and other kind of things. Yeah. So I'm now, ironically, after being that swimmer, where I was at home in the water, my biggest fear is actually open water. Because if you throw me off a boat now, I wouldn't be able to tread water for much. Like I would just, I would start to drown. Uh, you just very like quickly. swim in circles as you're trying to use. Pretty one much, I wouldn't be able to float for long. Like, really? I, I, yeah, I just fatigue. So I, I'm quite frightened of even. I'll go to the beach now, but I will never go out past my like weight height. I just never bother because yeah. I just don't want to risk it. Yeah. It's funny though, you say that and like you've got a genuine reason to be scared of the water now because mm. of that. But then people I know that are getting older are now like developing this irrational fear of water now. Right. And it's like as they get older, it's like, oh, I kind of get that though. Like because as a kid, you just fearlessly swim around in there. But now you're like, what if there's like sharks or Cthulhu or some well, shit's I, under there, you know? Oh, like, uh, look, it's it's the it's a great unknown. Yeah. Like you don't know what's under there. And your mind, if you've got a vivid imagination. <laughs> which I'm sure you do. Yeah, which I do. You start imagining creatures that are like going to molest you and stuff and tickle your feet like when you're out there just waiting around. <laughs> and, you know, you hear stories growing up of like people going in the jungle and little catfish swim up your urethra and then they have to chop your wean off. So it's just a lot of stuff that builds up in your head of the like, mythology of open water and, and the darkness, the abyss beneath you. Yeah, it's mm. fucking terrifying shit, man. Lovecraft made a whole, yeah, built a oh, whole yeah. fucking thing about this, yeah, you yeah. know? By wearing a bowler hat and talking about squids. <laughs> I probably didn't do well for himself then because everything's uh, in the public domain now. But the Mm. amount of Cthulhu shit and, you know, he's he's created this whole subgenre, cosmic horror. Like, what a fucking gun. Yeah. Because he was scared of some water, probably. Oh, totally. I think he only had a bath once a week back then, anyway. And he also was also scared of Jews. But, yeah. 
But he ended up marrying one, which is weird. Yeah. Don't know how to explain that. I guess it's the enemy, you know, I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe he was trying to get, you know, get mm-hmm. in with the enemy. He needed some intel from the, from the, <laughs> the enemy lines. <laughs> maybe that's the case. Maybe he was actually a genius. Um, I just thought he was maybe a bit of an idiot when it comes to love. But, mm. you know, we all are sometimes. So that's kind of normal. Um, tell us about how then music started from them. Because if people know you now, they would assume you've been doing this since you were... You know, you were a little goth from birth, making little yeah, yeah. stuff. But so when did music kind of come into play? Um, well, after I, I stopped having to focus so much on the physicality of, of things after school and that, I was a bit downtrodden, I was a bit lonely, um, and I, was still, I still really enjoyed villains and theatre and that kind of stuff. But music would never been a big part of my life at all. Like, you know, I was always outside doing stuff and being very natural history-based. Um, and I remember watching Rage early one morning and a Nine Inch Nails clip came on and a Marilyn Manson clip came on. And Can you remember which ones? Ooh, uh, it would have been... It was something off the downward spiral for uh, Nine Inch Nails and it was the Antichrist uh, era for Marilyn Manson. Yeah, that's, so, a, that's a great time for both. Oh, yeah. Very <laughs> visceral, very reptilian, very, um, like, you know, morbid, but still fascinating and eye-catching mm, and mm. genuine. So, I, I was all about it. And I, I thought to myself, here are, you know, living people that act like cartoons that are so extra that are over the top that are arch villains or theatrical anti, yeah the anti-heroes mm. to what society is putting out and i just thought to myself straight away I, I want this i want this i want to do this and the first concert i saw was alice cooper so i i got to see you know theatrical shock rock royalty yeah as my fledgling years and I just never turned back. I just love that. So how old were you when you saw Alice Cooper? Like in Sydney? Yeah. I would have been maybe like 13, 14 years old. And who took you? I took myself. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I just bought a ticket. It was like the Telstra Superdome back in the day. Yeah. Out at Homebush. It was fantastic. Wow. So that changed everything. Mm-hmm. And then, so then how do you go about like, all right, well, I want to be, I want to be an Antichrist superstar. How do you find a band or how did you, were there band dudes at school? Were they like the weird kids in the corner? Not, like- not actually in my own school, but they're being in the Shire, you know, all the neighboring high schools anyway. And I remember seeing an ad that had been placed in the drum media uh, for like musicians needed. And this came like a few years later, I would have been maybe 17, 18. And I'd practiced in my own silly way in my bedroom of writing lyrics that I thought was so, you know, creepy and out there. And it was all just a real cringeworthy imitation of things that I liked at the time. Um, Which is how everyone gets started. Yeah, you all start out. Anyone listening that feels bad about that, don't feel bad. We all oh, did that. There were some shocking haircuts. There were some wardrobe malfunctions. It was absolutely terrible. What kind of hair was back then? Oh, for me, I've, I've had them all. I've, I think I had... I used to always have it dyed black and then just have various ways of undercutting it or tying it up or like weird bangs. And oh, it was shocking. Mm. Um, lots of badly applied eyeliner. Sometimes black lipstick. Fishnets, lots of fishnet shirts. Fingernails? Fingernails, yeah, the black fingernails, Urban Decay brand, always. Um, you'd go to the <laughs> repping, market. Repping, repping. Yeah, repping. You just got to be legit. And then, yeah, huge 
you know, huge golf boots. Um, oh, did you have like new rock boots? Did you have like the full? Or what did, what I bought you- them once, but I wore them. I only wore them once because they're terribly designed for human feet. They're like walking around with transformers on your feet. Like you need how Doc do Martens are way better. How does Danny Danny Filth do it? Like how does he wear those? Because boots? he's three feet high, he needs the shoes. Mm. The shoots the shoes make him more than a hobbit, so that's why he needs them. Um, so if you're a regular height, you're like, I don't need these no, new rock boots. I just no. wear Doc Martens. Yep. Yeah, yeah, smart. But yeah, I did set myself up for a lot of ridicule and stuff walking around in the Sutherland Shire in a beach culture town when you're head to toe looking like Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> so how did that fuel this new teenage Sam? Like, were you just like, yeah, fuck you guys. You don't know what's up. Well, I, I, I had... I had an ego and I, I was quite confident even though I look back now and I just oh, I cringe just looking at the old demos and pictures. But we all start from somewhere. Exactly. Uh, and I'm sure if anyone listening who's been in a band knows that they've got that fucking secret hard drive. Oh, of, yeah. You know, pictures when you were 17. Yeah. Yep. My best my best friend in Sydney, she, um, she'll she usually wait till it's my birthday and then she'll send me a custom-made card and it will always include... Either some shoddy lyrics from back then or a live photo that I've never wanted to see the light of day. And she just has an entire Bible's worth of them because she's known me so long. So it's always very funny when that happens. This podcast should just be called How to Destroy Sam Dillon. Yeah. You're talking about water, styrofoam. Like mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a girl in Sydney somewhere, guys. Find her if it's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, look, it's more interesting to know that people are real rather than just some myth. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're you're a real man with real real things going on up there. So let's um. So then you're doing this. You're being a goth. You've got a bit of an ego on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you in a band at this point? Like, um, just done like little silly talent shows and open band comps. Uh, I eventually found these guys from the drum media uh, that that had been very specific in the bands that they wanted to be sounding like. And, and what were those bands? It was like Perfect Circle, Tool, uh, Marilyn Manson, Nine Inch Nails, and I think it was something a bit weird like Dream Dream Theater. Mm-hmm. But I went along to the rehearsal. It went well. Uh, and then I just went from there. So it was a band called Vulture. Um, we existed for a few years. And then I guess I just learnt through the crafting of, of lyrics and bad gigs, good gigs and criticism of where to go with that. And I managed to get uh, singing lessons uh, from a guy in Sydney who used to be a glam rock singer and then became the, one of the first white R&B singers in Sydney. <laughs> so he had, a, he had a great range, but the full on like, oh yeah, kind of like cock rock stuff and the spray on pants in his youth. And then he'd matured out to, you know, dingy bars and and lots of your girl like that kind of Whoa. stuff but he's he's fantastic and he's still my mentor today and i often call him up and talk to him about uh, just life really i've gone beyond just asking about singing lessons but he's become like a father figure to me like a bit of a samurai master yeah like a band, band dad mm, mm, yeah <laughs> So it's it's nice to have those kind of forces in your life that help you along the way. Oh, completely, man. I've got heaps of those myself. I'm sure everyone does. So you with the lessons, what changed? What changed in your vocal style or was it just you weren't just screaming anymore? Like no, I used to music- actually sing. Oh. I've gone the opposite way. I used to sing rock songs. Uh, so Vulture was kind of more like you were singing in that band. Yeah, more traditional sort of Alice Cooper-esque, Queens of the Stone Age, uh, Marilyn Manson sort of stylings. And then I 
moved to England with one of my bands and we had some sort of success there. It was very hard. It was just surviving, literally. Uh, but when I was there, the kind of people that looked after me uh, and passed no judgment and became my family were in the death metal and the extreme metal and hardcore scenes. So we all banded together and I just... I was angry and I was aggressive and upset and depressed and I used that fuel to find sounds that I liked and I I just a very natural progression went to the more extreme side of heavy music so yeah I don't I don't sing anymore I just do different vocal exp- experiments I guess you'd call them but I there's a much more roaring much more genuine i think because I, I didn't feel like i was imitating anyone anymore i thought i'd definitely become my own creature yeah mm. and when it comes to the vocal coaching that you were talking about did that come into play when you were doing the screaming as well once it got more extreme or was that at that point you were just using what you could it's it's like an exercise of knowing the job that you're going to be doing with your voice knowing what character you're going for and doing it in a way that's completely confident and calm so you can be as aggressive as you want, but you're in control of the machine of your voice. So I've always had a very natural uh, projecting voice. I'm quite loud, even when I'm whispering. And I've just built that around making sure that I do the voice justice and be as clear as possible when I'm singing uh, singing the lines. So I want to pronounce everything, even though it, you know, traditionally in metal, especially really heavy metal, it's a bit, you know, you do not really know what's going on. Mm. So I want that to cut through the music and people to understand because I've definitely gone to a lot of effort to write the lyrics and the phrasing. So I'm very proud of that kind of delivery that I can get across. Mm. That's really good, actually. We'll come back to that because your lyrical themes, anyone who listens to this show knows that I'm obsessed with like when on metal archives where there's lyrical oh, yep. themes. Yep. <laughs> like I'd love to know what your lyrical themes are. Let's, let's touch on that while we're here. Like with low, for example, mm-hmm. what are the lyrical themes there? Like if you on the, is there a, who, someone filled that out for you on metal archives? Like, no, I'm not sure. I didn't even know if we we're even on it. You fucking should be. Oh, okay. I'll we'll have to. Some yeah. metal nerds probably already put it up there. And for them listening to this now, and they're going to update the encyclopedia, Metallum mm. or whatever. What, what are the lyrical themes of low? What would you say? Sins. <laughs> Sins straight up. So in the biblical sense. Yep. Um, corruption and lies. So I've I've always been fascinated by the myth that you create around yourself mm-hmm. or someone else and that you will uphold that myth often to your own detriment above all else. So it's like how corrupt you can become or how engrossed in your own bullshit that you end up and what is the the consequences of that. And so there's a lot of corrupt figures in all you have to do these days is just open the newspaper or turn on the TV or switch, like go straight through social media. You're going to see something that is just truly absurd. Like the way that Trump became president, that's literally the court gesture becomes a king. Like that's, yeah. That stuff is very easy to see. There's a lot of symbolism in it. It's all fact. And there's no need for me to sing about witches and goblins or make-believe stuff because the true horrors are right there every day of your life. And the banality of human existence just freaks me out as well. I don't find human beings overly fascinating. I much prefer animals. And I guess it's because sins are predictable. People's behavior can be very predictable. And you can paint 
these characters to embody everyone's anti-heroes or everyone's vices like there's just so much out there that i get stimulated by when i'm pouring over lyrics mm. uh, the other themes is definitely extinction and climate collapse and our impact as a species on all other species yeah and you know right now i've just been having a field day of through the tragedy of these bushfires because i've i've just managed to churn out an entire book's worth of lyrics in the space of the last month because it's just every day it's just another nightmare that you it seems like a farce but it's it's true mm. it's just one of the worst living things that we've seen happen to our country that's the thing that's really interesting like we're recording these guys on the 9th of january <clears throat> fires have been happening for a good couple of months now right mm -hmm. but now it's like everyone's gone into like pray for australia like hashtag pray for australia is a thing now like yep. And Jason Momoa was posting about it on Instagram and stuff. Yeah. It's like, fucking hell. Did it get to the point where we're on a world stage now that like we yeah, haven't put not, out the fire? It's not something to be proud of at all. Exactly. It's like, what it's the like a living scar that we're going to have to sift through now. So the whole East Coast, which was, I guess, the Garden of Eden of Australia because it's where all our population lives. It's where the highest rainfall is. It's where, um, up until now, the largest areas of, population. Uh, of bushland were left. Oh, right, of course. State forests and whatnot. Now that entire natural resource is being extinguished so you're looking at it, it makes me wonder though when the figures started coming out and they're going koalas are now functionally extinct so i've done a bit of zoology in that over the years and to say that something's functionally extinct and then the death toll of the koalas was say you know 2000 or so that the death toll of 2000 koalas is more alarming to me not because it was a tragedy and the fires but the fact that 2000 means that now this animal is on the brink it's the koala it's a common emblem of australia it's iconic where the hell was the fa facts and figures for us over the last 30 years that they've probably been dwindling away on that east coast eucalyptus um ridge when, where were we told that that was happening is because they want to build. They want to build along that east coast. They want to chop down the trees. They don't want you having a cry and a Kleenex about the koalas going extinct. Let's just keep saying they're common. Yeah. And now they're not common. Now they're almost gone. So you got countries like, say, China, who their national emblem is the very fluffy, very cute panda. Pandas are not going extinct. They've got a monetary value to China. They're very proud of the iconic animal. They respect it. And they pour all the money that they use to hire them out to zoos around the world straight back into conservation. If we actually cared about the animals that we, we so like to market to other people, then we should be implementing things like that. It shouldn't be waiting to the 11th hour, then pulling our thumb out of our ass and trying to save it. It should be a conscious want, like a desire, to protect our resources yeah so yeah the bushfires is a very easy thing to write about because it is an ultimate sin of whoever allowed this to happen and i want people to stay angry i don't want them to be apathetic about it i want them to realize that once those fires are put out that's not the end of the battle that's the start because yeah. because this is going to keep happening we need to really get away from this pornographic lust we have for coal and the ability for baby boomers just to be fueled only for tax bracket reasons. Mm. Let's actually do something 
the benefits beyond you. It should be benefiting everybody. And that sounds like very unmetal or whatever, but it's true. Like the only way we're going to get through this, this food chain of shit is to be doing it hand in hand. It's really lovely, actually. And it's funny that you say that it's not very metal, but it's like, at this point, it's a human thing. And you're a human. We're all mm-hmm. fucking humans. It's like, forget what's metal, what's not metal. Oh. It's hot as fuck. I'm not wearing metal clothes right now. I'm sweating. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. Let's, let's fucking just separate that. All get together and sort it out. Yeah. Because um, I'm with you. It's terrifying. Now, you've also done something really lovely. Uh, I saw on Instagram the other day, and I'm looking at the finished artworks right now. You did some art for for the bushfire stuff. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I, I got hit up from a friend in Sydney who has been a metal journalist for quite a long time and she's kind of reached into a little black book of, of friends and contacts from overseas that might want to help out to do with the charities. Mm-hmm. So there's a CD compilation that they've put together and I've pieced together some artwork for the cover and that'll be available very soon, I'd say. And the other one I've done is a... a one-off artwork that my band Lowell will be releasing for 100% profits that will be going to the animal rescue uh, charities that are based in New South Wales. Fantastic. Mm. That's really good. So it is nice to see that everyone is, you know, doing what they can with the skills that they have to kind of bring everyone together and do nice things. It's been really cool. It's, like, yeah, through all this tragedy, it's definitely not gone unnoticed just how charitable and uh, generous people have become. Like, that's it's a common goal to fix this and to support like support, supply support for these families and for the wildlife carers that are now left with their whole world upside down mm-hmm. like it's it's a massive tragedy yeah yeah it totally is man um we'll, we'll we'll shift gears and we'll go back to you being in london learning to scream heavy metal so tell us a little bit about what happened there so you were in vulture and then you were in a different band, which went to the UK. What was that band? Uh, that was the same band. Same we, band. We changed, um, like, not same members. I still had uh, the bassist and guitarist uh, were the still originals that came with me. And we had the two-year Youth Mobility Scheme visa. Uh, this was back in 2009, 2010. And it's a little bit into 2011 before I came home. Uh, that was the when the global recession hit. So the finances completely went down the toilet and there was a lot of stress back home as well. Um, My family uh, pretty much went bankrupt and it was a very stressful time where I had no support. So I was pretty much trapped in the UK, struggling, like working 60 to 70 hours a week in a bar job just to pay your rent and you had to survive in other ways. So you became very... When you are pressed to the brink like that, you'd be surprised what you'd be willing to do to make sure that you can keep your head above water and you become very ruthless and I guess I repressed emotions because that was not going to aid in my survival at all. Mm. I just needed to keep my head down, my nose to the grindstone and get myself through. And music was one of the only outlets that brought me joy and at least the visceral nature of that and the hurt poured into that and I grew from that experience. So I always came, I came back to Australia eventually and I was just so grateful to be back and amongst my family that I hadn't seen in a couple of years and I just took it by the reins and I focused that new aggression and I, I quit doing that band. I, I joined a new band called Snakes Get Bad Press 
and from then on it just felt right musically for me it it meant that everything i did i had much more passion for and more i guess i was proud of the craft i was making so tell us about snakes get bad press because there's who's in that band who was in that band uh well a couple of the members that went on to become totally unicorn were in there Mm -hmm. uh it was a bit of an abrasive hardcore act it it sounded a lot long the lines of things like Converge, Robotosaurus, um, Admiral Angry, Trap Them, uh, Black Breath. So the Kurt Ballou sort of style guitarings um, and mm-hmm. the Chariot as well. It, it, was, it was a fun band. Uh, we were definitely learning the ropes of how to be a touring band and how to write. And uh, we had some successes with that. And we got to play like, with Fuller Hill and a couple of other larger bands and two of the country in a crappy little van. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of hard work. Mm. And the best thing for me that came out of that was that I got I got uh, hit up by Lowe to be their vocalist during that time. And then it, it snowballed from there and I got a hit up uh, to be in Hadel Moore because of Lowe. So it was a trickle-on effect that I had uh, since I came back from England. And I haven't looked back and it's been fantastic. Mm. So tell us about we'll we'll get we'll get to Hadel Moore, but we'll start with Low. So that's what everyone obviously probably knows you from. Yep. From, I'm, I'm on top of Sam Raptors. It's probably Sam from Low. I feel like. People. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That would make sense. <laughs> Usually, it's the guy with the eyes popping out of his head that looks like he's demented and possessed on stage. That's usually the thing I get. Tim Anderson's referred to you as Ace Ventura before, which I really appreciated after once that glass broke. I was like, oh, you, it is a little bit Ace Ventura. It, yeah, Lachlan Watts said that I was like the mask, uh, <laughs> the mask of, of metal. So, Do you put it on before, this, like, before, like as the band's tuning up, you just like <laughs> the whirlwind comes I just, through? I've then- just got a naturally rubbery head. <laughs> I, just, I just do a lot of facials. So a lot of people will try and squeeze as many riff solos and that into a song. I'm just trying to squeeze as many facials into every <laughs> moment of, of performing. We'll get to low, but another thing that I've noticed is I think in previous conversations we've talked about it because I certainly noticed it was like a red dragon, oh, yeah. fairy thing. Yeah. You're doing this real... When you're up on stage, it feels like you're becoming, you know, oh, transcending. Yes. Like, yeah. Do that- you see? Do you see? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's you, was that a very moth from the chrysalis vibe yeah. that's happening? Yeah. You, were you doing that intentionally? Or yes, I, yeah, yeah like- definitely conjuring something up. And like we were saying before, with my injuries, um, my body looks odd when I don't have uh, a shirt on, and I'm able to manipulate the bones at the back and the shoulders and the muscles. So I, I just use it to my power. It's like I'm sure I can't do a sit up, but I can definitely make it look like I'm growing extra wings out my back while I'm <laughs> contorting around on stage. Uh, I just like lo- I, I love that that theatric part of it, yeah. And the the whole selling of the song, really, because I'm I've gone to the effort of writing these lyrics and performing with the band and re- rehearsals and money and time and energy. If I'm going to go up there, I want to go 110%. I'm not just going to sit around and pretend I'm too cool to sell my own song, you know? Yeah. I want people to come on that journey and be terrified and and feel that aggression. <laughs> That's great. It's a great segue because another thing I had on my list here, it's very um, we're, we're smashing through them, by the way. Oh, I cool, feel good. Cool. Um, one of them was you told a story one time when uh, we were down, you were down in Geelong, my hometown, right. playing with Hadelmore at the Courthouse Youth Arts, now called Platform. But you were there and you were telling me a story about you took your shirt off at a gig once and someone heckled you. Do you remember this story? Have you told this story before? 
Um, right. Does that sound familiar? Might do. I think Cam Roberts was there for that one as well. Um, <laughs> was, that, I think that was at Max Watts. And so you, you took your shirt off during a show yep. and then someone told you to put your shirt back on and use the F word, the bad F word. Yeah, yep. was that, do you remember this story now? Can you tell it without me giving you any more? Yeah, cues? yeah, yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember I had my shirt off and I'd, like everyone was going nuts and I, I hear someone yell out from in the middle of the crowd um that yeah like put your shirt back on you f word and i just took it in my stride and just yelled out back to him mate you're just upset because you don't know whether to (laughs) whether to fight me or fuck me (laughs) and then i went as long as your dad's proud of you mate i still love you And he, uh, yeah, and I didn't hear a peep out of him and everyone just took it in their stride and we got on with the gig. See, it's that theatre training that's obviously led you to, to just nail that moment. Like, that's like, you know, when there's moments on YouTube of like, this comedian destroys Heckler. Like, that's yeah. one of those, that, that could be one of those moments. Well, it's just, you know? at the end of the day, I'm up there doing a job. I, I'm, I'm more than comfortable up there. If anything, that says a lot more about this person's situation and their insecurities with themselves because yeah. I bet you anything they don't want to be up there being like looked at like that or having to remember words and keep people in the palm of their hand he much more happier being an insecure person semi-drunk in the back hiding from their emotions <laughs> still burning years later you still burn that yeah it's just, it's just the nature of most things like that the loudest person in the room in a crowd is often the most insecure mm. Yeah, that's that's actually very insightful. Actually, shit. Um, we'll keep we'll keep back on with Low. So you joined Low. How did that happen? Like you got the, you got the call up because of Snakes got bad press. Yeah, Snakes get bad press. So the boys so- had just finished a tour with Cold of Luna and the Ocean. Uh, I think it was like twenty five thirty shows across Europe, and they'd come back. They'd parted ways with their original singer, and they I guess they wanted to keep the ball rolling, but also offer up a new release that was going to showcase a new vocalist style. So I was thrown in the deep end. I I joined, I had a a couple of weeks to learn the set and then we were on to doing a show with a secret deaf and palm from Japan. That Mm -hmm. was my first proper gig with the boys. It went well. And then we released the tongueless EP and that was with the infamous Orca film cool. clip. Which you know I want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> you know I want to talk and about it's that. And it's all just, that, that film clip's made it for us really. That's that's what gave us an identity uh, beyond uh, the first one or two albums. And then we, I guess we were more accessible to a lot of people overseas because of that clip. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I sent the clip to my brother today and he was like, holy shit. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? Like, it is a holy shit. It, it, as, and like, and someone, as for me, who works in video, like, it's probably one of the greatest videos, like, in Australian music I've ever seen. Like, awesome, thanks. Like, it really is. And there's that behind the scenes, which kind of captures all the magic of like, oh, wow, how did they do that? And then how did Sam fucking stay in that pink goo the whole time? Yeah. And like, yeah. dudes are emptying like sweat, like buckets of sweat in their boots Whole gumboots like, were for sweat. Oh, yeah. it's wild. Like... You put in so much work, it looks fucking fantastic. And it's, yeah, you, like you said, it's catapulted you guys to, I don't know, what would you call like this next stratosphere of being get, in a band. I guess, like, yeah, just it just means you're slightly up on the pyramid of where you can say that you want to play or <laughs> what your meagre demands are going to be. Yeah, cool people start wearing your shirt, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you must have seen low shirts on cool people. You're like, fuck, that's Sometimes, cool. yeah, like, we're, we're lucky to have, like, I don't know, 
we've got a couple of diehard fans overseas, which is nice. Uh, I'd like a few more, but we'll see how we go with the next album. <laughs> always get more, man. Yeah. Always get more. Um, so you're, you're in that and then the opportunity for Hadel comes up. So how do you balance being a vocalist across two bands in, you know, pretty similar genres of metal? Mm. I guess Hadel Moore is a bit more like technical. Definitely a bit more, tech focused yeah. and more like way more death metal extreme style. The drumming particularly is, mm-hmm. is really over the top. Uh, two two guitars rather than the one. Uh, a lot of atmospheric stuff that goes on and backing tracks. Uh, it's just a more extreme beast overall. Uh, it's a big focus on the guitar work as well. So I become a little bit lost in in the mix of how extreme it is because it you are just it's like every engine is running and yeah whole everything's time. a ten you know yeah yeah so the the whole. The, you're painting with all the colors the entire time um the subtleties uh, it's more it's more harder to grasp i guess uh oh, there's got a chopper coming in yeah like, <laughs> i don't know it's gonna pop up on the mic but. and then um yeah lyrically it's it's more obscure and uh not as i guess sing-songy as what i do in low so uh, I, I have a lot more rhyming patterns in low and wordplay and uh, hadel moore's just straight up aggression yeah right mm. so that's how you kind of do you ever write lyrics and think oh is this going to be a hate or song or is this going to be a low song or you always know when you're in the zone like you said because there's wordplay because there's this yeah like- you get into a rhythm very quickly with what you're doing and it also just depends on how much material i've been sent like i'll always just work at the one that needs to be done first so if the boys are sending me through a couple of riffs then i'll just tackle them as i get them yeah. cool mm. And you just kind of play it by the ear that is the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just want to be genuine to to the project and make sure that I'm not, yeah, like cross pollinating. But stylized wise, um, I've noticed that I've helped my my vocal range has been helped by being in two different bands like that. So my roaring has got larger because of low, and then my more raspy sort of stuff has gotten better because I ate more. So I've got more characters that I can pull out of my bag of tricks when I'm recording. Yeah, that's yeah. excellent. I love that you think of them as characters. Like, Well, they are. It's like there's nothing human about what I'm doing. Like it's the, the sentiment is human of suffering like you, you and you sins, st- but the sound I'm making, I'm, I try and go off. I'm much more influenced by movies and yeah. creatures than I am of another vocalist. Talk to me, like, what, what kind of creatures other than the Tooth Fairy? Like, oh, like, like Smog from Lord, uh, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and stuff. I, I absolutely love that draconian vibe that happens and the, the how I really nerd out on how they make those sounds and very animalistic. Like, I, I would much prefer to sound like, say, a, a T-Rex or a cassowary than I would, say, uh, you know, Judas Priest. That's really good. So, what else you got? So, you got some, you got some, you got some animals in there. Like, what else? Yeah. Is, like, what are you, what are you trying to channel with certain characters? Um, ferocity for sure, and aggression and violence, but also this weird, uh, like, what's the word? Like a charlatan, like a snake oil salesman, the preacher, the mad preacher at the pulpit. That's always a vibe I like to conjure up. I yeah. like to that thing of you know the information. But you don't just blurt it out. You sing it to them or you... You kind of dance around and turn into a bit of a show. You have some showmanship to the actual thing that you're doing. And you make horrors more swallowable 
for people. Yeah. The digestion of your awfulness. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I'm just going to see where we are on this fucking... Oh, yeah, I've written Red Dragon on here already, so we've, we've, we've t- tackled that. Let's talk a couple more about like uh, these other low clips, right? Because low now, because of that orca clip, is now known for like doing these amazing clips, and you've done a couple of cool different we things. Had to, yeah, we set the bar a little yeah. bit too high. So Too fucking high, man. Like, yeah. How do you... What's the conversations with like video clips when, once orca's done, once you're working on the next thing? I guess we're lucky because being a bit DIY with stuff, we utilize what we have in-house. So Carl and I do artwork. Uh, the, the drummer, Adrian, he does web stuff and PR. And our bass player, Adrian, is a film producer and manager of sorts and is in charge of the filming of stuff. So... That's his, that's his day job and we utilise his access to this often very expensive gear and talented directors other than himself and we, we utilise that. So yeah. we've been very fortunate to have a family of creatives and of people that are willing to help us often for very little money and a lot of risk to make sure that the, the product is there and everyone's proud of it and they're happy to do it because they believe in the band and they're often our friends and we just really enjoy it and we want to have that ability to put our heads up and and say that we're proud of what we released um so using as fools ripen as an example for this which is uh, is that the newest clip that you guys have done with the with the with the whole rig yes so how did that come about because you're right like what how does the band collaborate with the you know the film side or what's the idea was there an idea in the first place for that who had that idea like how did that come about because it's a wild concept i think the way i see it is we've often been focused on the human body with a lot of our clips one because it's cheap because we've all got one and like you don't really have to do much with it you just take your shirt off and start you know what writhing around and you've become the cgi character Mm. uh and I think there's something always uh, perplexing and uneasy about manipulating the human body. People don't like seeing things that aren't where they should be. Mm. It makes you feel uneasy. And that the jarringness and the shock value and the aggression of the music lends itself to a lot of that. That like body horror. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So it doesn't have to be grisly, but we definitely have done stuff that leaves an impact when you watch it so whether that's a color a color scheme that focuses on something or whether that's uh digital manipulation of extra limbs and bodies and you know very very like that tactile grossness to it um i think that's somewhere in the minds of when these concepts come up uh and then it's just about executing it as best we can on a budget and making sure that it's going to stand up to at least what we've already released, if not better. So mm. um, we, we are like time poor because it's just what happens. Like No one's living off this. So it's, it's just making sure that you, you've got a strong concept that's going to do well. Yeah, yeah. It's, time poor is a great, uh, great word to use and a great segue. Uh, Ava wanted to know how low works because everyone in the band is so busy. 
you're in Melbourne. Are the rest of the guys up in Sydney still? They're all in Sydney, yeah. And then, like, is it your drummer has a couple of other bands? Like, Yes, he's very prolific with <laughs> lending his hands to other people's projects. Carl's in We Lost the Sea as well. Oh, so yeah. he's, he's tours with them quite heavily, uh, particularly in China. Uh, Shapiro's full-time uh, film produ- production company. Uh, and there's two of our members also of Fathers, so... They've got little families that they've always got to look after. And yeah, there's a lot of flights. There's a lot of uh, emailing ideas. And you just become more precious about what you've done with your free time. And there's nothing more powerful, I think, than saying no to things. The so we have a positive no. Yeah, positive mm-hmm. no is we, was something that we've definitely been living by over the last uh, two years or so of our careers. And it makes us sound a little bit arrogant, but it's it's just making sure that we have more control over what shows we're doing, what opportunities we do, and making sure that every show we do is an event. Like we don't want it just to be, oh yeah, so I'm last week, don't worry, I'll see him next week. Like I want it to be at shattering for them. I want it to really get them out of the seats, you know? So how many shows did Low play last year, for example? Not many, I don't think. you played Brutality and you played... Did Brutality. We did um, uh, Dead of Winter uh, in yes. Queensland. We did a support spot with Anal Nathruk, uh, which was awesome. I've always loved that band. And that's now become like our G-Up song, that one with the machine gun forwards. <laughs> that one as soon as you go somewhere in the car you got to put on the anal anal Nathan track as we like to call it Um, and then yeah we of course like life changing for me was uh, the tour we got to do with uh, Cult Leader because my favourite abrasive band growing up was Gaza and so Cult Leader is the phoenix from the ashes of Gaza and to be able to hang out with those boys and do some great shows and sell out um, Sydney and sell out Melbourne that was fantastic so that just seemed like a proper marriage of violent music that complemented each other and they were very cool dudes and the whole team that was in charge of looking after us was fantastic yeah that's excellent mm. yeah because that was a that was a Lachlan Watt joint wasn't yes it? it was yeah and unfortunately that was actually the start of uh, his brain tumour fiasco so Brutal. he's obviously survived and come out of that and he's back on top and he's back on top he's on the airwaves and uh, we couldn't be more prouder of him yeah that's great oh that's excellent to hear but um so yeah so only a couple of shows when you really think about that mm-hmm. you're right but we're worthwhile shows yeah there's another thing here that i've written down that uh my best friend matt cleary from black helm mm-hmm. he was on a plane with you i think you guys were both flying over to where are you flying to i don't know but they were playing a show and all of black helm were on a plane and you were on that same plane with them right do you remember that that plane ride possibly yeah <laughs> <laughs> with everything with that it's just me trying to remember in a chronological order what silliness I partaked in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I've written it down. Now oh, you're like, right, cool. oh, fuck, I have to remember. So yeah. anyway, you were talk- the, the conversation that Matt was talking about or that you guys were talking about was band practice, time management, all yep. these things, all the things we're talking about right now. And you got into your kind of philosophy on band practice and all this kind of right, stuff. Right. And you were talking about rehearsing with a whole band a couple of nights a week is, an, is I, I put in hand commas yeah right uh, a waste of an adult's time it is i think yeah. is, is that the quote that matt told me that i've yeah. never forgotten because i'm like fuck it is a waste of an adult's time it like, is when you're an adult you don't have time to fucking like band practice tuesday wednesday mm. thursday and then the show on saturday yeah so like tell us a little bit about your philosophy all right on so not d- wasting adult's time all right so let's just get a little disclaimer out here for the audience 
I that is not mean I'm a sloppy person or a sloppy musician at no, all. And neither is the rest of the boys. It's just the fact that we all have lives and I think it's a little bit offensive if you've reached, you know, your late twenties, early thirties and you don't know your homework. Like stay at home in your own time, in your own way, like whether you're going to work in a tram and you got a spare moment, listen to the set. Go over your stuff like when you got a spare moment. Don't need to Netflix the nanny anymore. Like, sit down, do your homework. Because in that way, you don't have to worry about your wallet. You don't have to worry about hating your best mate because you've now seen his ugly head four times that week. Just learn your stuff. Learn your stuff. Then you'll then you'll be better at it. And sure, there's nothing that's going to be better than being in a room with those people and running through the set. But you can totally like cull back on that you can do that before you have to tour or before you have the show like on the day or whatever and stay sharp but you still want to be able to go over things and redo things at home in your own time that's not limited by money and driving places and getting irritable so yeah it is a waste of an adult's time when you're learning your craft and you're young totally do it all the time you know you're living at home with your parents do it in your garage whatever save some money save some time make some friends but when you get to a certain point yeah the the <laughs> the, the love of jamming goes down the toilet <laughs> i completely agree with you and it's someone like I, I spent all of last year i turned 30 last december before that spending my year of 30 being like fuck, what am I wasting my adult time on? You know, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. and it made me reprioritize a lot of things and a lot of things have changed in the last year for me, for now 2020 to be like this new slate. Yeah. Because I was in the same boat. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, wh- what are we all doing? Like, there's, yeah. this, there's this fucking sand going down the hourglass. Yeah. It's like, fuck. So, I one just... thing you'll never get back is time. Yeah. Yep. So, I've now become everything for me is like, I don't have time for that anymore. I don't have time for this or this is going to take too much time. You got you to gotta be blunt and honest to yourself of what is a productive use of your time and what is a soul feeder and not a soul drainer. That's the big ones. I'm going to write that down. That's really fucking good. Um, So that's good. So we've tackled this as well. All the quotes that people have said or I've brought back to you are are, are just providing dividends in this podcast, which I'm fucking stoked about. (laughs) (laughs) See, when you said that thing about being on a plane with, with those guys, I got a bit worried because sometimes... Yeah, you know, I need to during the day because life is is quite annoying for me and painful. So it's it's just this thing of to keep depression at bay. I'll be silly um, as oh. as like a mask, and I enjoy doing voice messages to the rest of the band because they're they're basically my family. So I talk to the boys in my band all all week long about different things, not often about music. It's just everything else, <laughs> and I love to do uh, silly made up characters of whatever we're talking about. So, you know, you see some odd person on the on the plane, I'll just pretend to narrate who they are and what they sound like and what they're about. Give but, us a, give us a taste. Can you Yeah, yeah. So, uh, there was this large man with a one of those really awful like eureka stockade sort of looking hats <laughs> like with the corks and that and he sat down and he's got the wife beater on and it was a trip up to Queensland, I think it was. Uh, that we would it was one of the cold leader shows, I think. And we're going up there and I just saw this guy and I like nudged Carl and I was like, oh, here we go, look at this guy. And then I just like made up this character of Nev from Lightning Ridge. <laughs> and it was just this really obnoxious, a bit dim-witted Aussie kind of guy that, that would be talking a bit like this, like, oh, ha, oh, oh, mate, oh, went to, a, went to Burger King the other day, man. Ha, you know what? 
It's just Hungry Jacks. I've noticed it. It's a world first. And then just that really gross thing of, gonna go see my see my cousin up in Lightning Ridge. Yeah, got a very legitimate business running. He uh, breeds pit bulls. Lovely dogs, lovely temperament. That kind of gross voice. So that's just one of many characters I assume that you've yep. got in your repertoire. Yeah, yeah. There's things like Shrek 2. What? That's another one. What's Shrek 2? Oh, just Shrek 2. I just, I just thought that was funny. It's like an obnoxious large person that you'd be calling Shrek 2. So it's not even not even <laughs> the not credit even... of Shrek, the original. It's just like, nah, he's like, it's not worth it. He's a he's sequel. Sh- he's Shrek 2. He's Shrek 2 over there. <laughs> that's brutal. What an insult. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit I'm losing my uh, I'm losing my fucking my, my bearings here but we're going to do the lightning round now we're, we've hit the hour mark I right. keep forgetting the fucking lightning round dude because what happens is we get into these big talks shit might get real towards the end and then all of a sudden oh I have a great chat we should oh, leave you to it and then I'm like fuck I forgot to ask so we're going to do them right now alright lightning round Sam yep. Dillon are you ready I'm ready alright question one analog or digital uh, analog what time did you wake up today uh, seven Last thing you read? Uh, I'm reading it at the moment, Feral. It's about rewilding uh, environments. See. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, so stuff like, you know, major predators uh, like the bobcat and uh, the bear and wolves, getting them back into places that have had their ecosystems stripped by human development for so long that they're no longer functional in the way that they should be. So you could, it's about making nature more dynamic, more risky, rather than these cultivated living you know gardens that we just just expect that they're always going to stay the same that's not true like we're constantly in flux and nature is always changing and evolving so we've got to learn to sort of take down the fences and let nature do its thing yeah yeah i like that a lot that's very cool uh what's your first memory first memory uh was a sea cucumber that i saw on the bottom of the ocean when I was looking through one of those weird little kickboards that has a Perspex viewer in it and I would have been three and a half years old on a family holiday in Fiji and I just remember how ugly this sea cucumber was and how dick-like it looked and uh, yeah, it's just, it stayed with me. That's my first memory I've ever had. That speaks a lot about your character though, doesn't it? Like weird sea stuff, body oh, things. Mate. It's all know. about genitalia and being <laughs> crass but also in a factual way. Yeah, and yeah. like in a biological way, yeah, you know, yeah, like in yeah. a nature way. It's very yeah. you. I like that a lot. Uh, tea or coffee? Coffee. Uh, last thing you cooked? Uh, kangaroos, sausages, and bok choy. Mm. Mm. Um, if you were reborn, who or what would you like to be? That's a big question. You talked a lot about animals lately. Yeah, you know, see, that's awesome. the thing, but you'd, I don't know if where I want to be trapped with my mind <laughs> in an animal's body, you know, because that would be just devastating. Because, you know, I'd love to be a Komodo dragon or a sperm whale. But then if I'm me inside a sperm whale, then I don't even have any sperm whale friends, you know. Because I wouldn't know how to talk like a sperm whale. They wouldn't know who I am. I'm never going to get a root. I'm just like floating around. I might not be able to use echolocation properly. So I'm just like swimming around on the coast of New Zealand not knowing when to come up for air, just ruining everything. And yeah, like all the pods of whales yeah. are going in one way. You don't know where you're going. Yeah, like- yeah, yeah. So probably I, I've always wanted to... I think someone like, say, David Attenborough, 
he's led a very vibrant life, um, a very uh, humble man, full of insight. I think that would be a great person to be. Like, like from his his whole life, it just it reads like a fantastic adventure story. You know, when he passes the torch, maybe he can pass it on to you, man. Is he has he named a successor yet? I think it's Brian Cox, actually, the oh. guy that's more about planets and solar systems. But he's an incredibly smart man. That. It's got, you know, he's got the vibe, the hipster vibe that he's the kids that like. Great, he's got that Oasis bowl cut. Yeah, you know? see, I never, I never was never into the whole Steve Irwin thing because I found him a bit too cringy and a bit too hands-on for what's going on. Like, sure, he definitely it put a spark of interest in the natural world into younger audiences and, and especially did wonders for Australian tourism. But mm. I much prefer it when it's, say, someone like David Annabelle where the star of the show is nature, not you. You're mm. not out there jumping around like a clown. You you are back on the you know on the borderline, Doing the explaining stuff. Yeah, yeah. and I, yeah. I much like that. I I don't think animals need to be hyped up. They're already amazing in their own way. It's very true. It's very good. Um, what inspires you? What inspires me? Uh, usually failure. That would inspire me. Yeah, because it makes you look at yourself. You often chastise yourself, you're hard on yourself, you criticise yourself and you make sure that you're limiting the ability for you to fail more. So that's definitely it, failure. Yeah, that's really good. Last record you played? Ooh, uh, well, uh, the one as you were just coming in, the best of Razel, the number one beatboxer in the world. So how did you get into Razel? Was that through Mike Patton? Yeah, that was through Peeping Tom. So I was a bit of a diehard fan and went to all their shows when they were out here. Well, it was what, maybe 2006 or something like that. But that was a fantastic uh, record and and Razel was a, fam- a fantastic addition to that. And I went along to a couple of hip-hop summits as well over the years that Razel was one of the main performers. And I love how you said summit like it's a... You yeah, know, like- yeah. <laughs> Like World YouTube. powers of beatboxing. Yeah. It's like, you know, the Bilderbergs and the Rothschilds and then there's yeah. Razel, you know. Yeah, like, of course. It's a summit. He's the godfather of noise. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So Razel, very good. Um, yeah, I reckon I've seen him and Mike Patton do Pony, the genuine. Yes. Is that, is that on YouTube? I reckon I've seen uh, that. Look, yeah, more than likely. I've, I've seen them do it live with another beatboxer called Butter Butterscotch, was her is name? Is that the girl? Yeah, yeah. 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 So she was pretty amazing. Um yeah, they do a lot of that sort of stuff. There's a lot of uh, party favourites that they'll pull out in a live set. But Razel's just a fantastic entertainer anyway. Very witty, very quick. And he's, he's other MCs that you'll have touring with him that he sort of interchanges with. They're really, really good at what they do. Yeah. yeah. It's a real like art to that. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you got to think on your feet straight away. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. I'm sure you take some lessons from Razel, right, on stage? Oh, look. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he definitely has a different presence than I do. <laughs> <laughs> He's not like red dragoning at all. No, no, no. He's much more comforted couch compared to me. <laughs> what is your favourite piece of musical equipment? Oh, you know, I'm, I've always been envious of pianos. I think a good piano, like, like a, a grand, grand piano, piano, is fantastic. I wish I could play one, but that's I'm very enviable of people that are able to just pop out and do an amazing Tickle the song. ivories. Yeah, tickling the ivories. Mm. I think that because you can get all the tones with a piano, you can do. You could sound a bit like a guitar. You can sound a bit like other things. Like it's not just limited to what it is. And there's so many depth of emotions and atmospheres. It can be 
handled straight through. It's a very theatrical instrument too, Ooh, which yeah, yeah. which speaks to your yeah 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 very much. Um, last movie you saw? Last movie I saw. Well, I'm halfway through it, and it's a piece of shit. <laughs> Uh, it's the new, it's the new live action Aladdin because I'm a self-confessed Disney Disney fan, and yeah, it's just absolutely terrible. It was not needed. It's really unnecessary. No, no. And you know, like Will Smith was fine. It's fine. Like everyone was like, "How's he gonna do the?" Ro-? It's like, yeah, it's fine. Like, yeah, it's just Will Smith. I don't oh, know. just yeah, it's- he's just so wholesome. It's it hurts your feelings sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's just like you don't want someone to be a Werther's original. Like, you yeah. want them to have a bit of spice and jadedness You to want them. to be a warhead. Yeah, yeah. Or a Sam... Sambo! Like, yeah, salt and vinegar chip. Like, have some edginess to you. But Will Smith is a world's original. Like, he's just smooth, predictable, and your grandpa approves of him, you know? <laughs> I love that. Take that, Will Smith. But yeah. it's also... Thanks. For, I mean, he'd probably say, thanks, man. That's yeah, he'd nice. love that. He's you know? family man. Yeah. yeah he's going to be the next president and all that kind of business. You reckon? Oh, one of them will be. For sure. Fam- family slash family man slash Disney fan slash action film person. That's the criteria that seems to be for political leaders of America mm. of the free world. As long as it's a franchise, then they'll get behind it. Very true. Yeah, it's very interesting, actually. Fuck, you're making my brain spin in all different directions now. I'm looking at Will Smith in a whole new light. <laughs> These lightning rounds cause lightning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you love? Who do I love? I love my mum, to be honest. Yeah, I love my mum. Um, I love my sisters and, and my little um, nephew and niece that have just come into the world over the last seven months. Uh, I love David Attenborough. I love Billy Connolly. I love Jennifer Hudson when she was in Dreamgirls. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of things I love. Fantastic. Do you have any pets? Oh, I know the answer to this question. Yes, I have the, the Instagram famous Paloma the Woma Python. Um, so she's just sitting over there in the corner in a little heated box. Um, yeah, not, not a very charismatic pet, I'll, I'll admit, but I like it for the purity of what it is, like in a natural history way. So I love reptiles, always have. They're very close looking to dinosaurs, which I was obsessed with and still am. And I like the fact that when I go on tour, she's not going to get... Uh, you know, stubborn about it because <laughs> she just sits there in the in the corner and waits to, for the next meal. When you do tour, who looks after the who feeds Paloma? Uh, in the past, I've had ex girlfriends and stuff have to brave it and feed her if I'm gone for a long period of time. Usually, though, I'll fatten her up before I go away. So as long as there's clean water in in her cage, then the temperature control looks after everything else. It's a very non fuss pet. Yeah, very much so. She doesn't need me at all. You know what I mean? Like I. If I handle her, then that's something she tolerates. It's it's more just the fact that she's quite happy just to be operating on autopilot by herself. <laughs> it's not like a cat. I hate I hate people that put the human elements into things like cats and dogs. They're not your friend. They're yeah. not your friend. And if you have a heart attack and die in front of them, they will eat you while you're rotting there. Like there's no loyalty with these kind of animals. You can respect them and like have sentiment for them, but f- never forget it's an animal. Like, and that's what you should be celebrating: the purity that it is something different to you. Yeah, right. Mm. Fuck, that's fascinating. <laughs> you just the lightning is striking my brain every time you open your mouth. These questions and they're taking way longer than yeah, they yeah. Need it's, to. it's not very quick fire, is it? Laws is probably going. This isn't fucking lightning. This is yeah, just yeah. a conversation again with stolen questions. Um, are you useful? Useful? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. You have the p- propensity to be useful. I and think you so. Are, and you I, are I doing do little it. useful things. I've got to remind myself about that. I can't be too hard on myself. Like, yeah, I, I, if, if there's something that needs to be done or a hand lent, I can do it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I would say you would be. Uh, biggest fear? Open water. Uh, not achieving things I've set out to do. Mm. Running out of time. Yeah. That's my current yep. biggest fear is the time thing. I'm just like, fuck, why yep. was I scared of spiders for so long? They're not terrifying. Like, time, wasting time is terrifying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And spiders are fine from a distance. Like, yeah. you know, I've I've got a redback above my shower that I look at every day and I just go, no, eh, one day you're going to fall on me. But it's not today, so it's all right. Fuck, is it really? A redback in your shower? Yeah, just above the shower head. But I'll poke my head in later and maybe yeah, do a bit of... fine. You know, like, what's that when you got to build the fear tolerance up? Like, you, oh, you know, yeah. like exposure therapy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do a bit of that maybe. We'll see how we go. Because they freak me out yeah big time second biggest fear (laughs) what do you value the most uh stories stories i value that above all else excellent um famous last words oh famous last words I, i always get caught saying certain things that i wish i didn't like i hate the word like and i don't like it when i pause before things and be like eh I hate that sort of stuff. So I don't want to be remembered for anything that involves those words. But anything else? Anything else? <laughs> I think my mum showed me a quote once that was surround yourself with heart lifters, never heart sinkers. Mm. So I think that's a very good thing to live by. That's good. Now that's Loz's last words. I got more questions that have come in from Dwayne Johnson. Oh, yeah, cool. So let's go. Anime or Disney? Disney. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Autobots, Decepticons. Decepticons. Yeah. You more of a Batman or a Robin? Ooh, Batman. Why? Because oh, I don't. Uh, I'm not. I'm not as rich as Batman. No way. <laughs> I've probably got Robin's bank account, but I've got Batman's brain. Oh, I like that a lot. Um, uh, and who's your favorite Ninja Turtle? Donatello. He was the nerdy science one. I loved him. He's got a crap weapon though. It's just a, basically a, a pole. It's a stick yeah. wrapped in some. It's cloth. a stick with a bit of band aids on one end. <laughs> he could use that stick though man yeah he yeah could use it yeah. All right, fantastic all right lightning round over i'm feeling good about that um thank you for contributing That's to right. the lightning round L- i just li- feel bad for donatello because he never had very good catchphrases the rest of them got all the juicy lines and he just like solved the mystery he was just the nerd hanging out in the corner like devising yeah. the plan yeah yeah yeah, what was Leo doing really? Like, he wasn't really like... How was he He's leading? the moral compass. He, oh, yeah. Yeah, he was the one... He's back, I called him... He was the turtle that just stated the obvious all the time. <laughs> yeah. But you know those, like, rules? Just Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? He's in, like, the episodes are not very well crafted together. So, they, they've only got a couple of moments that they have to sort of repeat every week. And one of the bits that I always laughed at was you'd have, you'd have Raphael, who was the wise-ass, and he'd be saying something a bit snide... And she'd be like, oh, no, we're going to drown. It's raining all over the place. And then he would go, we're dealing with a real mind here. And then <laughs> and then Michelangelo would just, he'd have to always say something to do with pizza or partying. Pretty in much, every yeah. single sentence. And it gets, the more you watch it, the more annoying it gets. Like, they'll be like going, oh, my, oh my Lord, this alien invasion is very serious. And he goes, yeah, you know what else is serious? Serious pizza. And just like, what did that have to do with anything at all? He just what he's just he's. I'm surprised he didn't have diabetes. All he does is just 
party and eat pizza. Yeah. yeah. But he's probably getting a lot of cardio in fighting all those yeah, you know, monsters and stuff. Yeah. 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 But you're right. And he skates and stuff. He so skates. You'd, you'd be pretty fit from, you know. Yeah. One, one leg would be really <laughs> fatter than the other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. All right, cool. So, oh, and then the question we're going to add into the lightning round, which is what movie could you watch over and over again? Yeah. Every day. The Prestige. The Prestige. Tell us about, give me. See, because a lot of people, Christopher Nolan, they love him. You know, fucking Batman and yep. Interstellar and all these things. Yep. But The Prestige clicks for you for some reason. Tell us a bit about The Prestige and why you love it so much. Um, Look, my ex likes to make fun of me and say that I might be like a closet steampunk. <laughs> And I find that incredibly offensive. Oh, me too. If someone because said that I've to never me. seen something that would make someone's genitals fall off their body quicker than, you know, walking around as a steampunk. But um, as someone who worked at, you know, comic cons for like five, six years, right. that's, yeah, you see a lot of steampunk and it's like, oh, yeah. It's just fog watches and, and like too many buckles. There's and always gears. buckles. Yeah, gears There's... on hats. It's like, what do you need a fucking gear on your top hat for? Yeah, I know. What it's, do you need the it's buckles? It's just the impracticality of thinking they're being practical. That's the worst bit. It's it's like when you eat a, a sandwich in Japan and there's 15 wrappers for the one sandwich. It's the kind of deal with a steampunk's outfit. It's, just, it's not necessary. The entire thing's not necessary. Anyway, so... Do you, reckon, do you reckon there's a functional steampunk where we could streamline the look but make it functional and what would that be called oh it would just be called active wear and people do it every day <laughs> no but it need to be pinstripes it need to be oh, some browns yeah yeah very some... Tim Burton-esque yeah, yeah. you know uh, who knows gym goffs gym goffs fitness goffs like that's definitely a thing that I've seen around like especially in America uh, I don't know it's just it's just making me feel like I don't want to have sex with any anyone <laughs> or anything when I think about stuff like that so that's that'd be a very good way of you know creating abstinence just in make a society. Just make your steampunks. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry if there's any steampunks. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Look, you're not hurting anyone, but you're not getting any either. <laughs> no, they probably had a nice <laughs> steampunk wedding with their like steampunk wife. That's true. And they've probably they probably like can a... shoot. They can shoot gilded pistols at each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. They did this one. I was watching uh, with my ex. We watched that show Skin Wars on Netflix where they paint each other's right. bodies with paint. Have you watched that garbage? Yes. I've wasted about 20 minutes of my life and I never did it again. Mm, talking about a waste of humans' time. Oh, yeah. Adults' time. Definitely enjoyed wasting a bit of time watching that. But one episode, they did a steampunk-themed thing. They're like, you got to paint the person steampunk. And then one person did it correct, which is like the yeah. steampunk we know and love. Yeah. And she didn't win and she got really pissed because she was like, I'm the only one who actually did steampunk. I'm yeah. like, yeah, but what does that say? In a steampunk competition, not even steampunk won. So it's yeah, like, right. you know, that's yeah. just, that's a moral for, the, for, for everyone there doing steampunk. Yeah. So anyways, back to the prestige. <laughs> I, think, I think I just really love sort of uh, Charles Darwin-esque European old world museum stuff and that part of history. But also just the workings of that film, it is like a massive twist um, towards the end with all Christopher Nolan's films. Spoilers. Spoilers. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but it's just like, they're great character actors. It runs really smoothly. You're always doubting everything. You've got to pay attention to it. It's like a it's like a homework. It's, it's a full-on essay of a movie that you've got to follow. And I just love every time I watch it, there's going to be something else in there that you can pick up and you're still not quite sure at the end of what's happened. 
Mm. And you've got a couple of, you know, really f- uh, famous cameos in there. You've got David Bowie playing Nikola Tesla. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just a great film. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Sold. Oh, I dug the movie and I, I compared it to... Uh, when we're talking about it on New Year's, The Illusionist, remember that movie? Yeah, that with Ed Norton. Norton. Yeah. And See, was- Ed Norton, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know, eh? I don't know, eh? He's pretty good in American History X um, and Fight Club. But other than, oh, and Death to Smoochie, that's pretty funny. Oh, that's, that's a great so movie. so funny. That, now, that's an underrated film. That's yes. a great film. Very much so. Um, Catherine Keene is in that. I love her. Yeah, She's and Robin Williams on, yeah. on like five bags of Coke per line. Um yeah, just Evan Norton. I, I think there's better character actors out there, to be honest. Ooh. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm cutting deep there, Shrek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, he must know because no one wants to work with him. Well, yeah. Like, oh, he, yeah, is he a bit of a, a drama he, like, to have on the studio? He, he gets in and he, he, he messes with the script because oh. if he's going to play the character, he wants it to kind of feel... Oh, so I think, script fondler. Yeah, so yeah. he's one of those people, I think, that it's like, oh, okay, we did this and it was good and you were really good, but it's like, I don't want to do that again because it's slowing down the whole process and, you you know... Right. And that's why he didn't come back for Hulk. That's why they got Mark Ruffalo. Oh, okay. Because he did the th- whole deal. He's like, I want it to be... I want I want pathos and I want this and I want blah, blah. It's like, it's Hulk. Like, just, yeah. just do Hulk. He's a He's a... Like a walking tank, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Look, you could probably get into the philosophy of Hulk. There's something maybe going on there. Yeah. But it's you know for the movie's purpose, he gets big smash go. Yeah. Try not. It's to- like an NRL match. That's all you got to do. <laughs> Just run forward and smash. Yeah, like Marvel was. That was the second movie of this MCU. They were like, let's not push too hard. Let's just do a fucking classic Hulk. He smashes some shit. Yep. Don't have Edward Norton trying to fuck things up and try and make it, you know, overly philosophical or anything. Yeah. yeah. They were just, they were trying to go for a home run. Just an easy, low budget home run. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Now you're just making me think about like Hulk films and Nick Nolte just being a weird crab starfish at the end. And and that was another thing as well. (laughs) They're trying to fucking just be like, we're doing a Hulk movie, but let's just avoid everything that was in that Ang Lee. Look, my uncle's a film critic and he loves that Ang Lee Hulk or the Eric Banner one. Yeah, right. I've been yet to revisit with, I just remember seeing it as a kid and being just upset. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Why is he smashing stuff? Like, whoa. Yeah. But I like they did the comic panels. I don't know if you remember in that Ang Lee one. There's actually like, as things are happening side by side, they're like doing split things and it actually kind of felt like a comic book. Mm-hmm. No yeah. one really explores, like no one ever explores comic book movies that literally except yeah. Ang Lee, which good on you for doing that, man. Way to go. Um, <laughs> which we've jumped so far off topic. I wanted to talk to you if you're open to talk about it with mm-hmm. your mental health. You're talking about it earlier. Yeah. And I thought yep. this would be a good way to close the show. I remember to do the lightning round. We've had our fun. Yep. Now let's let's get to the you know, let's get to the vegetables of this conversation. Sure. Because you are a influential figure in the Australian music scene and you're dealing with something that, you know, if people could kind of get an ear into and be like, oh, wow, like this is a thing. I think you could change minds. I think you could right. do some good. Are you willing to do that on this? Yeah. I like um, uh, the thing with about uh, with my condition, I guess, is that I repress a lot of uh, emotional stuff. Uh, I've never been very well versed in being able to communicate that sort of things. I'm quite happy to talk to you. Like the cows come home about weird things and facts and stories and experiences and I'm quite blunt with that sort of stuff. But when it comes to my own emotions, I think the problem was that I didn't think any of what I have or feel or think about myself, at least, is worthwhile. 
Mm. So I don't, I, I deflect quite, quite quickly. And uh, I'm a bit better with it now because it's been uh, several months of therapy and having, uh, you know, support network of my ex-partner and uh, close friends and bandmates that have really gone above and beyond looking after me and checking in with me and being very respectful about it. Uh, it's just, it's that thing of, yeah, you'll actually see me or like have a physical twitch, I guess, if I'm starting to sink down into that into that self-criticism and being quite harsh on yourself. Where does the twitch come from? Is it like hands or is it like a full body kind uh, of thing? Yeah, I, I get very, very bad anxiety. And when I'm sitting down talking to someone, my legs will continuously uh, move, like mm. twitch. Uh, my hands have to be busy usually with something. And often if a, you know if i've had a few drinks or something like that you won't see me looking in people's eyes much i'll be looking over someone's shoulder or whatever because it's making me very uncomfortable but at least i'm able to communicate that's what's happening so i don't put the other person in a in an awkward situation of thinking yeah. that they're offending me it's nothing to do with them it's just my own brain like rewiring and working out what's going on but i think yeah, it's a very toxic thing that happens in Australia that men in particular are not encouraged to share anything if it shows you as weak or soft or frail or vulnerable. It's And in the metal scene as well, It's yeah. even though it's a very macho thing, uh, the creative process is a very egotistical, very upfront thing and it's personal to a lot of people. So I think the myth of that you've created for yourself as being bulletproof or being louder than life, um, larger than life, theatrical, whatnot, uh, and a lightning rod for people to look at and take notice. You don't want to sort of detriment it by, I guess, showing people that you aren't all there, that you're not okay, that you can't deal with things day to day sometimes. And I think that showing that and opening up a conversation is a very worthwhile thing to do because mm. uh, you know i've had friends that have had to take their lives and things because they probably thought they couldn't reach out and talk about stuff and it's very scary and it's very real and i think that mental health is actually the most damaging thing in our society yeah i Be agree because when you think about it when you're in a good mood you're not going to be a suicide bomber like when you're in a good mood, you're not going to take your own life. When you're in a good mood and adjusted, you're not going to do a shit job at work. You're not going to be emotionally abusive or blackmailing to members of your family or you're not going to get into illicit drugs and become an alcoholic. All this is coming simply down to the fact that your brain needed it needed help. Yeah, you needed to feed your soul. You needed to talk about stuff that was going on. I think the more you repress things, it's like a damn wall where every problem is more water behind the damn wall, and eventually that damn wall is not going to be able to cope, and you will flood the town. You will flood everything that you hold, and that's exactly what happened to me about six, seven months ago. I, I let life. I was no longer able to be resilient to it. So I'd kept quiet for over a decade, really, like since coming from living and surviving in England than being purposely isolated, I guess. I moved in a state, I moved away from my family, I moved away from support networks. 
I guess because subconsciously I didn't think what I was doing or who I am is worth anyone's time. So it I, felt easy to do that in a town with. No it one felt acceptable to me to remove myself from people's ability to be disappointed by me. Whoa. So, which sounds very sad, um, and it's very lonely, but it's just simply not true, I guess. Because if it is, why would I have my family and friends wanting to help me if I was that awful a person? So it's it's the colours that you paint for yourself. It's that portrait that you've created in your head with depression and being the artist, and it's. It's just quite uh, humbling and scary when you eventually admit that to yourself and seek help. And you've got to be honest with a therapist and you've got to show those ugly scars of what you think and feel of yourself so you can heal. And it's not an easy fix and I don't expect to be, you know, having rainbows pop out my ass next week and be all good. Like I watched my relationship crumble. I watched my health deteriorate. So I'm on this like ridiculous diet at the moment. So all your gut health is all linked up. So... Uh, misery and anxiety and depression will manifest itself in your body in other ways. So, yeah. So, I'm, bok choy and kangaroo sausages. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm just. So bad. I'm eating a very keto, you know, what is it? Keto, yeah. Keto diet, yeah. So, that kind of stuff. And, you know, it, it's, it's getting a bit easier, um, but you just got to make sure that that voice in your head that's your harshest critic, you take it for what it is and you're able to. Like you're not, I'm not expecting uh, to, you know, if I'm having bad thoughts about something to just dramatically turn it around and have a very productive day. But I try my best like to do that because it's um, the way uh, my trainer, George, says he's like, did you have a bad day or did something bad happen that's getting in the way of a good day? And I was like, yeah, that's right. a really good way of thinking about it. Because like sometimes you might have that thing that, you know, you might feel a bit flat and you want, and then it just paints the whole day shit. Whereas if it's like, no, 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 day was fine. That thing was shit, mm. but the day was good. And it's like you've got to try and adjust the way that because, yeah, like when you're in a, in a bad place mentally. That one thing can just ruin your whole week, can ruin your whole It spirals out yeah. and that's always been my problem is that I've got a temper and aggression issues, but not physically. I would never hurt, a, hurt someone physically, but it's that thing of I watch little irritants get under my skin and it just snowballs to the mm. point that it will become all-consuming for up to, say, an hour or two which is terrible if you're in a relationship because if something happens and often things will, that... Uh, something small uh, will trigger you and literally ruin like it it would just become a chaotic catastrophe when it didn't need to be yeah and it's all about having the maturity to recognize that that's what happens and talk yourself down off the ledge yourself or have sort of have ways the tools. have yeah. the tools and that's what therapy is all about mm. so i you know i i was so aggre aggressively against it at the start because I thought that me having to do that and seek professional help was almost like a massive failure on my part. Totally. So it's it's being able to say, yes, I am busted, just like how my body is, and I need to fix that. Yeah. And mm. th and that's, I think that even you referring to yourself as busted, like that's even that, that's that, that's that failure talking, you know? Oh, like, yeah, for sure. Because I think the way I kind of, I've seen it in my mind over the last couple of years is like going to see a psych is the same as going to a gym. Like yep. I have no problems yep. at all admitting that I'd see a personal trainer because I don't know how to fucking lift heavy weights. Yeah. The same way I don't know how to fix my own brain. So why would I be entrusted to figure that out? Mm. The same way, like if they left me in a gym, man, I'd fucking cook my shoulder in like two yeah. seconds, you know? Yeah. So it's, I, I have no qualms with like 
feeling that's the same way and it's like you want to get fit so you go to the gym you want to get your mind right you go see a fucking psych like same diff right but it's very similar to what i i first went into a psych with that exact problem that i'm a failure i'm mm. a failure because i have to come here because yep. i'm not normal because i've got same stuff like i couldn't have family dinners without like screaming at family members, right you know because right. it's like there are all these little trigger points from when you were a little kid or whatever and then all of a yep. sudden it's like oh fuck i'd love to be able to have a family dinner without like yelling at my dad yeah (laughs) yeah gotcha yeah and then and then that snowballs and then same deal you get the tools you're like all right cool that's happening at the dinner table i'm not gonna yell i'm just gonna fucking Mm. take a deep breath and say something like oh maybe have you considered maybe not saying that or maybe it's having it's having boundaries and having things that you need so you can function properly exactly and it doesn't change who you are you're still the person that you are but then you're just like all right cool i'm not gonna let that get under my skin for the next hour i'm gonna process it and take a deep breath and then future relationships and things that you grow from now on with these tools are going to be much more, you know, yeah, much more vibrant. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, it's just that thing of, uh, I guess the hardest part about all this is you got to try and be kinder on yourself because you look at, you look at, you look at, say, time that you might have thought you wasted or time that you regret um, and you repress and so you feel... At least for me, it's like oh, I just have great shame and great embarrassment and great uh, regret and remorse of how times and interactions were spent. And it's that thing of does that mean that you just put your head in the sand and quietly nod out or do you at least learn from what's happened and try and make each day a bit better than what it is? Yeah. So then you do provide you know, supportive networks to people so that you do become the better friend, the better partner, the better person. Yeah. And think about how many people you know that you probably wouldn't have known them when they were an arsehole too, or vice versa. Like maybe everyone needed to go through these weird Mm. birthings of your, you know, kind of psyche to come out the other side and then become great mates with someone who also wasn't like uh, (laughs) unstable or unhappy or aggressive or whatever Mm. like we've all it's just very alarming the uh, the amount that whether it's publicly talked about or hidden Mm. uh, that the creative side of things is going to affect people mentally like there's such a stigma of it and it's so prevalent in australia in in like music scene in the music industry and mm. the arts. And you came from like Surf Lifesaving as well, mm. which is another ultra macho, get out in the water, save some people. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, like people only yeah. talk about their PTSD in the water. Not at that, all. Like. No, no. I'd say that a lot of uh, athletes in Australia would have depression, but, um, you know, they probably don't want to voice it. Mm. Like it's not seen as the to-do thing. It's not seen as the Australian ethos like what are we taught like you know have a go you know no she's you know no worries yes there is worries there's always worries it's just how you deal with them it's just like there's nothing there's nothing productive about shrugging your shoulders and continuing on like soldiering on because you can do what i did and you'll you'll look back and on 10 years the only way that you're able to even feel emotion was to watch a pixar film so it would Mm. force you to cry Mm. because real life held no no stimulus to be able to feel up, though it's like fucking oh ruins yeah you. fucking oh. ruins you iron giant's my one the one that kills me every time the iron well, giant you were saying you were saying pixar that's a dreamworks joint isn't it yeah that's a dreamworks one but i think but, they're, they're all incestuous with who directs and who writes the stories true, yeah that was a brad bird one. Yeah, yeah 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 so that's like your toy stories and all that kind of stuff finding nemos but 
Yeah, the Iron Giant, that whole quote at the end of the self-sacrifice. Oh, my Lord. Like, yeah. Tearjerker straight away. Yeah. Yeah. So, with being heavy metal frontman twice and Mm -hmm. having Pixar movies, was that your kind of outlets for emotion? Like, getting to, like... Definitely. Get the frustration over here and then cry to Pixar movies? Yeah, pretty much. And, Mm -hmm. And always putting other people, especially in relationships, their needs before your own, which it might seem romantic and nice but at the end of the day it exhausts you because yeah. you become resentful and you resent yourself for doing it and, and then you resent them as well yeah, for, yeah because you haven't had any boundaries you haven't voiced yourself you've just gone along with things in my case to deflect away from myself i don't want those 20 questions asked of me i just want them to be happy in their own existence so I can continue on basically repressing, yeah. yeah, repressing everything and living only for those brief little moments where I got to be a character because it wasn't me, you know what I mean? There's, it's, it's like you're talking about my own life. Oh, well, I, I would say like there would definitely be common elements in yeah. all this stuff with people because it is a disease. It's something that needs to be addressed yeah. properly and... There's going to be common needs in anyone, no matter what their walk of life is. Mm. Like we all suffer differently, but the ways that it's handled through a therapist or a professional is very similar. Yeah. It's it's fascinating because the way they're talking about it in the news now, which, you know, the news is... Anyway, they, they're saying like, oh, this is the new mental health crisis going to cost the government this much billion dollars in mm. plans or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then that just becomes like a headline that then boomers go, oh, do you hear about the fucking youth are going to cost us this much in mental... And then you're like... But then it's funny you just mentioned the boomers thing because the way I see it, I see it in a very snide, jaded, observational way in that what like stellar example of humanity are these people? Like they're the most uptight, emotional garbage cans of ability to cope with situations where everything is just slap more money on it, you know, or turn your back to it and shut up and get on with it. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the whole planet basically burns down around behind us. And that, that life of not communicating what is needed and what is felt and what is said has just left people, people like I know, like in the world that there are baby boomers that, you know, have separate rooms in their marriages. There are baby boomers that don't talk to their kid because they're gay. They have, you know, baby boomers that deliberately signed off land leases to their own national parks or whatever where they live just to get an extra five bucks or whatever. This is all this stuff that's just so repressed and so backwards and so archaic and it just seems like a massive distraction for themselves away from the ugly truths of who they are. It's they put the blame on everything else but themselves because it's a lot easier to swallow than what they have to live. Yeah, right. You're totally onto that, man. Mm. Well, like- you watch, now that we've had all these bushfires, when this is finally done and the fires are extinguished, you watch what happens in the government. There will be a massive distraction campaign of everything else but helping out. Mm. What do you think that's going to be? Like African Well, look what happened or- when we sold away half of Queensland or whatever to Indian mining companies. What was the big thing that was in the news at the time? Is it the plebiscite? There we go. Yeah, cool. Everyone wanted to go ahead with it anyway. 
It was just a massive distraction to keep everybody with their heads down and in your phones and angry on social media while the rest of our country got sectioned up like a butcher's and it just got sent off. It's it's stuff like that's happening all the time. So between like, yeah, I think like immigrants, you know, maybe like terrorism could come back into swing. Maybe mm-hmm. we could have a terror fear. attack. Like, just yeah, fear. What, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? Like you're, you're a student. Fear and paranoia. Yeah. That'll be the big things. And it'll be like already, I'm not, I haven't been following much outside the bushfires as different headlines for the last week, but I'm seeing a lot of memes and a lot of stuff being thrown around about World War Three. Iran, yeah. Iran. Trump, Trump mentioned Iran. Yeah. And then there's talk about potential conscription for, for American people. Sure, sure. And look, if they just want to go circle jerk themselves into this petroleum farce that they're what they're doing, it's all about oil. It's about resources. It's about being a slave to fossil fuel forever. It will always be like that until they finally fess up on the 11th hour of this planet and go into green energy but you've got to have a profit there you've got to disguise things with profits otherwise there's no incentive for anyone to do anything at a higher level Um, I think it will be fear mongering all over again that's the way that they will get the the common status quo's vote and they will push away from funding things that we need to worry about admitting that we've got a problem with our natural resources and that, and then having to make that switch, that's going to make people like Gina Reinhart very angry indeed. And doesn't she run a bunch of newspapers? Oh, look, if you have if you have mining is any part of your income, it's just, yeah, you're dancing with the devil. Like There's, there's no good that's going to be coming out of this. Yeah. So how do you, like, while we're in this, if you know, how do you keep getting people to vote against their best interests? Because we're talking about the planet on fire. We're talking about, you know... Well, I guess if you have any... If you have any moral uh, soul left in you by that point, at least you'd want to see the legacy of your own children survive to breed themselves. So what's the point of your name being attributed to something and your wealth accumulated if there's nowhere to live? Like water. Water should be far more interesting to people than coal like food food and a climate you can grow your food in should be far more important than coal it's just the nature of of the elite that have their claws in our politicians and that have their claws in the way that our fabric works yeah how our media's run and how yeah it's just quite terrifying it's just there's no net and that's why i always say about the lyrical side of things is there's no need for me really to go fantastical with ghouls and goblins or demons and whatnot because they already exist they're just wearing suits and they've always have been there that's a terrifying thought to leave this podcast on (laughs) you've gone from yeah but you remember guys we did talk about some Disney and it was very cute oh yeah yeah but also remember that people lurking in government are trying to fucking ruin our lives it's just it's like it's not even it's not even hidden anymore to be honest no it's really not yeah and I think the apathy is something that I worry about a lot. Like, and how the fuck can you justify Scott Morrison going on holiday, like, to no. Hawaii when, the, when the, like, the country's on fire? Like, and people are like, oh, no, he deserves a holiday. It's like, ha- mm. how the fucking brainwashed are you that you can't be like, if you're in charge of something and it was on fire and then you fucked off for a week, how, mm. how can you justify that kind of behavior? <laughs> like, unless, yeah. unless you're like uh, Mitch Alexander, who 
tinfoil hat time were saying that maybe it's because, you know, he needed to go. Maybe there was some kind of meeting over in the States about this Iran thing, you know? Right, yeah. Have you heard this, Shapiro? No, I haven't. I haven't. This is, this is something that uh, Mitch, Mitch Alexander was on the old podcast and Matt mm. was telling me the other day that's what he posted on Facebook. And I was like, oh, that's actually... Yeah, it could be. It's not a bad idea. And maybe that's why the military didn't get uh, sent out because maybe they're were maybe they were on hold for... So thanks, Mitch. Come on the show, buddy. We'll talk about it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he's a very buff, very smart man. He is a very buff, yeah. smart man. Yeah. He's like, um, he's like a more ripped version of Captain Hook. <laughs> Defend yourself, Mitch. Yeah. Come on the show. <laughs> And then you tell Sam what he is. Yeah, uh, I'm sure we've got something funny to do. Some hyperlative thing. (laughs) So yeah, it's good. We've we've touched into a little bit of my. I I like a tinfoil hat, you know. I like a little bit of that action. We've touched on that already. So maybe Mitch can come on and fully fully blow this thing out of the water. Maybe we can get to the bottom of it. Far more politically minded than I am. I'm just I just try and stomach the fact that we're we're basically a privileged ape that's managed to bomb and famine and pestilence our way into the future. And I feel like our, our race is almost run. Yeah. It's quite dank. It is. Yeah. But until then, we're not going to waste any time. We're going to keep doing the things we need to do and we're going to do the right way to, to get us there. Yeah. Be good people. Yeah. Hopefully I think that all this current catastrophes that are happening at least it it shines a beacon on unity like to unify through suffering to unify through loss to unify through being able to say that you were ignorant and learn from it and then see the real fear of what it can be and Mm. how we can stop because if we don't learn from this then this will be a regular occurrence this will be every summer it's not just one freakish accident this will be the norm that it'll be getting used to life of less. Like the world mm. the world hasn't changed shape. The world isn't bigger or smaller. It's the same size. It's just now there is less beauty. There's less in it. Every year there is less. Like <laughs> it's scary. Less koalas, less yep. fucking, yeah. Less no, everything. Right. Yeah. Fuck, but you were you were onto something there that we should end it on that was actually quite nice. Is that you like maybe we can learn from this. Maybe we can get together. Like you've, we've seen a lot of charity popping mm-hmm. up because of this. We've seen yep. a lot of people like donating their time and money and efforts and everyone's doing their bit, you know? Maybe maybe this could be the beginning of that. Maybe we could all kind of get together and sort it out, you know? Yeah. And like Bill Hicksie and, you know, stop spending all the money on bombs and maybe we can go to space, yep. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You find a whole bunch of new space koalas. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, I think we'll have to leave the planet at some point anyway. Fucking oath. Yeah. <laughs> I think Elon's fucking... It's going to be like living in a microwave. Yeah. Those guys are onto it, man. That space race is real. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, they know what's up. They know we're all fucked, right? Yeah. And they're like, we've got heaps of money. We need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're sitting here patting ourselves on the back because we just bought Beyond Burgers in our Coles shopping list. You have to try one of those. Are they all right? Well, I just find it funny that, you know, look, it's good. It's good for people to eat plant-based stuff because it's it's saving the environment from the amount of wastage that livestock is. But when you deliberately make something to have the texture of a dying animal, <laughs> I think that's a bit hypocritical. It's just like... It's quite morbid, isn't it? Yeah, it's very <laughs> morbid. Oh, I can really taste the murder as I'm chewing down on this. It tastes good, but does it taste more like murder? I need it to be more death, you know? (laughs) Can't be a passive meal. It's got to be, 
I'm really aggressively murdering this thing with my mouth. Oh, fuck me. Well, thanks so much, Sam, Dylan, <laughs> Sam Raptors, Sam from Lowe. You. You, you've been a fantastic guest and I think hopefully the, the listeners have learned a shitload about you and the planet and maybe we can all be good, better people because yeah, of this. And, and like, yeah, if I could just leave on a note is that if you are feeling bad and if you are feeling down and are feeling like a failure, please, like, don't do what I did. Don't repress it. Talk to your friends. Talk to your friends. Find ways of communicating what your problem is because no one needs to suffer like by themselves that's not necessary anymore it's a new age it's plenty of helpers available so try out those avenues great thanks so much for coming on man thank you post ramble time how's it going everyone um thanks so much for listening again um i have a i have a sinking feeling there might be some new listeners because of this episode so if this was your first one uh go on back have listened to some other friends of yours who have probably been on the show already or people you might know from the scene people you might be like oh yeah i fucking know that dude he's in that band oh it turns out he's really fucking cool it's where we're we're all gonna start slowly getting to know each other <laughs> Instead of just always like eyeing off someone from across the venue, from you know, it's just like just eyeing them off. Oh yeah, I've seen that guy around. I think his name's something or her, whatever. It's 2020. So this Sam Dillon episode, this was the first time I ever really wanted to film the show. You know, like Joe Rogan and Russell Brand and stuff. They've always got like shit on TV and it looks good and they've got like nice headphones on and it's like you know they're speaking into the mic at the correct volume. Joel, thank you. I've been very good lately. He's always ragging on me, listeners. Joel Taylor is always being like, Mike's too far away, dude. And I was like, fuck, yeah, okay, I'm on it. I'm talking like directly into it right now. Joe Rogan, fist to face. You'd be very proud. Um, anyway, why did I get on that tangent? Um, I wanted to film, much like a Joe Rogan, much like a Russell Brand. I wanted to film this episode because Sam is a performer. So, you know, getting his voice is fantastic. He has a wonderful range and he does characters and it's really lovely, but you guys weren't getting the whole deal. Like I was getting, you know, when he's talking about his influences when it comes to performance and when he's talking about, you know, animals and things, he was always kind of making, he was always kind of moving. He was always kind of acting and it was like really fascinating to watch. He's such a, such a charismatic dude. Um, that brings me to, I guess, the crux of what I want to talk about in this post-ramble. Pleasantries now aside, um, this Sam episode was really fantastic because uh, I mentioned in the show that we had a chat over New Year's and it was a really illuminating chat that I was like, I'd seen Sam before and we'd talked before at different things. Like I said in the podcast, uh, a gig in Geelong one time, I had a more played and there was like a weirdness where like the headliner pulled out and they had to play longer and it was like weird and they were playing on a floor. There was no stage. Like there was nothing separating us from Hate or More. It was just like... The so the whole thing's a little bit strange, you know, of a scenario to be in. Standing right opposite Sam and he's doing like this Ace Ventura Red Dragon thing and he's not above you. <laughs> That's a really strange concept, but I was still fascinated. It was almost, it became more like an art performance piece as opposed to like a, a gig because it was like everyone was kind of standing around saying, yeah, it felt, felt very strange. Um, so anyway... His, his whole performance and, and what I've seen of him so far was so theatrical, so hi- highlighted, you know, like it was going to be interesting when, you know, you just meet him on the middle of the day to do a podcast and he didn't disappoint at all. He's a very charismatic, very lovely, very intelligent person. He came off like that the moment I walked in the door, which was lovely. Um, I really liked his Attenborough kind of view of the world as well. Like the way he kind of talked about it was like we were just, you know, 
things on a planet doing things that are going to cause our own extinction. Like, I've never really thought of it like that. Yeah, so it'd be like watching a documentary about our own destruction, you know? And I started thinking about it like that, and I started thinking about Sam's lyrics as like almost like Attenborough-style narration over the top of, you know, montages of people spending money on, like, mining and letting the fucking country burn down and all these things. And it was like, yeah, fuck, I've never really thought of it like that before. When you put, only, like, it's such an Arbed thing for me to not be able to understand a catastrophe until it becomes like a movie plot. And then I'm like, oh, he's bad. And then, you know, that, I should have known that earlier. I should have had, I should have had Mitch Alexander on the show to tell me about politics because I, you know, don't, don't know enough about what's going on. And you look to people like that on Facebook to be like, oh, cool, thanks for, thanks for sorting this out because I have not been doing my research. Like, I need a, I need like a John Oliver for Australia. I think that was a bunch of people have tried to do that in Australia, but uh, I need someone to do it well and actually enjoy it and not be shit and get cancelled. So yeah, so what was I fucking talking about? Don't even remember. Totally have post rambled myself into oblivion there. Uh, listeners, sorry if there was any good threads that are just gone, just gone. They're just not coming back. Um, I also liked uh, the snakes get bad press stuff and leading into like Robotosaurus and Total Unicorn and a Secret Death and like those, the Adelaide connection, you know? Like that's really cool that he's a part of that as well. Um, cool dudes over in that scene. People I would really love to get on the podcast because a lot of them have been, well, a lot of my previous guests have been talking about those boys and it would be lovely for them to come and have a chat and give us, uh, you know, their kind of stories from their side of this because, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about them like they're on the other side of this, you know, borderline. And then you're like, yeah, I wonder what it was like over there in their debaucherous street with the horse cops, you know? Um, anyway, yeah, and I, you know, I also liked, um, I also really liked what Sam talked about when it came to relationship stuff. That was really um, poignant for me, just going through a breakup just recently over like December. So it's still pretty, still pretty fresh time, you know, to be a, to be a dude out in, in, in the new world. But um, yeah, a lot of stuff that he was talking about there really resonated with me too. and even talking with like Stu Callanan like last week about his relationship like talking to people within the same kind of world as you with the same kind of stories and the same kind of feelings you know ha ha hearing them have relationships that work is really inspiring and I you know never thought of myself as a relationship guru podcast dude you know I'm pretty sure there's uh, much better people in the world that can do that than me but if it's something that can come up in naturally you know in naturally flowing conversation let's talk about that because I kind of find it fascinating because it's someone who you know has had some failed relationships in the past maybe it'd be good to fucking get some pointers huh you know like same as same as everything else why that's not something that comes inherently easy to anyone you know maybe <laughs> Maybe I do need a few pointers, just like how to cook better. I'm a shit cook, you know? I watch YouTube to learn how to cook better. So it's like, why wouldn't I do the same thing to like have a relationship that lasts and is good and lovely? Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Episode 13, we're getting there. I want to do, I want to do something fun around episode 20. So I'm going to try and pump out a few more in the next couple of weeks. Uh, there's a couple of really good, exciting guests lined up, which I'm really excited about, genuinely, which is cool. Like, it's really cool to be like, yeah, I'm thinking about questions. And that was like the same with Sam today. Like Sam was one of those people that I was like, yeah, every time I talk to him at a, at a gig or a venue or whatever, he's, he's kind of around. Like, you know, we've had, we've had just like random chats at the Hi-Fi or at, uh, sorry, Max Watts. Uh, Max Watts, fuck. Does, do people get mad about that? Do people that work at Max Watts get mad if I say Hi-Fi? I'm sorry, Max Watts. Um, we've chatted there, and he, but we had this really good chat at the... At the uh, at New Year's. And that was the thing that made me go, hey man, do you want to come on my podcast? And he was like, yeah, I'd love to. And I was like, oh, cool. And then it was just a really nice thing 
to have at the end of a conversation. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that was lovely. And uh, like I said, I was very excited to do it. I'm very excited to do some guests coming up. Things are going to be happening. So thanks so much for taking this very strange journey with me. And uh, I hope you're enjoying it. And uh, hit me up. Hit me up on Instagram, Fuck Your Tarot Lady, and send me a message and tell me... I don't know, add a lightning round question. If you've got a good lightning round question that you want to throw in, send it to me via Instagram and uh, we'll put it in. And it'll be fucking sick. I'd love to grow that thing and do like chop and change, you know? Like every week you get like a bunch of random questions and you're like, oh, I really wish he asked that fucking guest that one. I'm like, nah, I took it out, especially for you, you know? You have to earn it. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys are having a great day or night or I hope it is great. Hope the rest of the week's fantastic. And I'll see you very, very soon. We've got another one coming up in a couple of days. Fuck, keep pumping them out. So thanks for listening, guys. It's making me want to do heaps more. Cheers.